The mood-altering effects of marijuana are no mystery. If that empty pizza box and prolonged uncontrollable laughter at the latest TikTok video are any indication. As for what's going on in your brain, research remains inconclusive. However, with recreational marijuana use on the rise, researchers are discovering more about its impact on cognition and brain function. Learning about how the brain processes the chemicals in marijuana can offer new insight about how long-term use changes how we behave and teach us how to minimize some scary marijuana-related mental health risks. From its neurobiological effects on a developing mind to its impact on our social motivations after long-term use, the latest research reveals there's still a lot we don't understand about how marijuana really affects the human brain. However, scientists are racing to change that. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about how pinpointing the ideal smoking age for marijuana can minimize potential long-term impacts on the brain. The latest research suggests that from a scientific perspective, the minimum age for smoking weed should be around 19 years old, and that pushing the age limit back even further may help protect developing brains. Our second story is about how long-term marijuana use can lead to social isolation. With a study revealing new details about how THC affects cannabinoid receptors in the brain, researchers have gained key insight into its impact on our overall behavior and motivations. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, what the latest research says about marijuana's permanent effects on the developing brain and why zeroing in on the ideal age for smoking it can minimize long-term impacts. Okay, last time. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? In the 1980s, when it came to teens and drug use, Cracking an egg into a sizzling frying pan was the most common point of reference for drugs' impact on the brain. It didn't really matter the drug, marijuana, speed, crack, crazy glue. Growing up for teens during a certain era, the guidance was drugs, brain, bad, pan, fried egg. Marijuana's slow path to decriminalization since then has taught us more and more about its actual impact on the growing brain. And as more states loosen their marijuana laws, the age of 21 has settled as the legal minimum. In particular, the years between 18 and 21 are still crucial for brain development. And while the brain doesn't finish developing until about 25, from the scientific perspective, pushing the age limit back to age 21 may help protect the brain. James McIntosh, professor at Concordia University, explains why this is tricky. It's better to wait until 21, but wanting people to stop smoking until they're 21 and actually getting them to do it, those are two different things. Young people aren't sufficiently well-informed about the cost of smoking marijuana when they're young. But research says young people may not need to wait that long to stave off mental and physical health consequences entirely. A study published May 2020 in the journal BMC Public Health determined the minimum legal age for smoking weed should actually be around 19 years old. It's by that age when the study suggests negative impacts on long-term health, educational attainment, mental health, and physical health are all minimized. And while marijuana may still have neurobiological effects on the brain of a 19-year-old, later life outcomes from starting at 19 aren't much different than starting at or later than age 21. 
Conversely, the study found that smoking weed before age 19 is in fact linked to significantly worse outcomes. This is particularly notable when you consider this reminder from the Department of Health and Human Services and U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams. Marijuana of today is fundamentally different than in decades past. It's significantly more potent and it can be further concentrated for use, a combination that can harm the developing brain. As more states decriminalize marijuana, lawmakers will need to strike a balance between the risk of long-term brain issues and pushing teens towards sketchy purchasing options. Here to talk more about this is Inverse's Emma Batwalham. Welcome back. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Good. So the study says 19 should be the minimum age for smoking. Can you further explain what makes 19 the bar? What proved to be significantly worse for those who started younger than 19, for example? Yeah, so it's not that 19 is uniquely good. It's just about the lowest age you can go while minimizing, in theory, these sort of long-term effects on health, mental health, and educational attainment. So those were all the markers that were used in this study to determine where we might be able to set the lowest possible uh, legal age for marijuana. Also at play here is the thought that setting the age too high could make the black market all too easy an alternative. It's an interesting balance balance to have to strike in terms of figuring out this minimum age. Yeah. So sort of like what I was saying before, there are a lot of things that go into setting a legal age for anything. So from a scientific or from a health standpoint, later is actually way better. That's partially because the adolescent brain is sort of a tumultuous place. There are a lot of changes that are going on, some thinning of certain types of matter in the brain that substance use like alcohol, for instance, can actually disrupt, as can marijuana. So one of the things that was going on here is that you're trying to sort of balance that scientific to push back the age as late as possible with the realistic fact that people are going to use substances. So if you look at marijuana specifically, there are just really like consistent trends in usage. The amount of high school seniors who've been using marijuana has remained steady since the since like 1997. It's consistently one of the high, if not the highest um, or most commonly used illicit drug by 12th graders. So the idea in this study is to try, or this study was trying to sort of fine, pushing it as late as possible, but also not pushing people into the black market. Because the adolescent brain doesn't really stop developing or until about age 25, it's better to sort of push these things later into life. And that's sort of um, some of the impetus we've seen as well for raising uh, the tobacco age as well. This is sort of a different thing with marijuana, but there definitely is, there are arguments to push it later if you're trying, if you're not looking at the black market section of this story. Right, right. Because, you know, like you said, and like, you know, we've, we've long known the brain doesn't finish developing until about age 25. So despite, you know, different life outcomes, what could that mean for cognitive skills overall becomes the question. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, uh, there has been some research done on how things like marijuana use during adolescence impact cognitive skills. So in particular, uh, I'm thinking of this 2018 study that was done on um, almost 4,000 teenagers and basically uh, looked at how teenagers uh, or smoked weed over the course of a year. And those who increased their use over the course of the year, the scientists saw that working memory skills declined in tandem with that. This sort of potentially other research has linked this to um, natural thinning of gray matter in the teen brain. So it's all very sort of tenuous here, but there is sort of research that suggesting that marijuana can have sort of a permanent effect on the developing brain. How that it plays out for cognitive skills is something that we need to look at more closely, but it's something that scientists are still looking at for sure. Yeah. 
there's some visuals you can check out as well that lays things out at inverse.com. In the meantime, Emma, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. Appreciate it. Thanks to a new study, the antisocial stoner stereotype finally has a scientific explanation. Up next, why the latest research suggests regular marijuana use can isolate a person socially. I don't smoke weed. I smoke. Why don't we all smoke? I get paranoid when I smoke pot. I don't smoke tubes and I don't really hang out. I smoke a little weed, but that's it. I love weed. Okay, I love it. Block the wind. I'm gonna roast this bone. For some, the primary reason for smoking weed is to relax, and it works. At low doses, THC, the main psychoactive compound in marijuana, lowers anxiety. But in other people, THC causes anxiety and paranoia. One hit, and they're rocking back and forth in the corner as if they've just witnessed a double homicide. One common effect is that regular use can isolate a person socially. We still don't exactly get this disparity, but a new study published July 2020 in the journal Nature gives us a little more insight. It suggests the reason why marijuana affects the brain differently likely has to do with three factors. The amount of THC, frequency of use, and the clincher, the mechanics of how THC interacts with cannabinoid receptors in the brain. The study showed there are mechanisms that link THC to changes in social interactions in mice, potentially telling us why high doses of marijuana makes people want to withdraw socially. Here's where things get interesting. Joining the show to break it down is Mind and Body Editor at Inverse, Sarah Sloat. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? Hey, Tanya. I'm good. Happy to be here. Glad you're here to explain this because this gets a little involved. Um, Anecdotally, it's always been pretty clear that marijuana affects people differently. But what do we know about, remind us of the specifics in terms of what's going on in the brain and and how it affects the brain. So slowly but surely, research is starting to mirror what people might already know personally. So at low doses... THC, which is the main psychoactive compound in marijuana, does appear to sometimes lower anxiety. But in other people, THC can cause anxiety, paranoia, and regular use can isolate a person socially. And why that is, we're still trying to figure out, but it appears to be linked to dosage, frequency of use, and then the most complicated factor which is the mechanics of how THC interacts with cannabinoid receptors in the brain. Right. And again, we um, we knew that humans had these cannabinoid receptors, but the mechanics have always been a little fuzzy. As far as the study goes, what was it able to tell us about how and why THC impacts us socially once it gets in the brain? Yeah. So humans and other mammals have cannabinoid receptors, and we've known that since the late 1980s. But what we don't really know is how those modulate the effects of neurotransmitters. Here, what they looked at was CB1, which is one of the two known subtypes of cannabinoid receptors. And what they found is that it's when this receptor CB1 is persistently activated, that may affect sociability. You know, CB1 disrupts the chain of events that allow brain cells to be energized. At least that's what we see so far in mice. So it was ultimately observing the way THC affects 
let's call it energy management in the brain that helped lead us to these conclusions. So how do they think introducing marijuana specifically impacts our social behavior? Yes, it all comes back down to, like you said, the energy management, this chain of energy that brain cells operate off of. So basically CB1, that receptor we were talking about, these scientists previously figured out that it's present not only on the outside, but also on the inside of cells, particularly on the powerhouse of the cell, the mitochondria. And because the CB1 receptor is located on mitochondria, Scientists think that THC might affect how energy is managed in the brain. So the study focused on CB1 receptors on the membrane of the mitochondria within astrocytes. So in the brain, there are two main populations of cells, neurons, and glia. And astrocytes are one particular type of glia, and they have a very important job, and that is to transform glucose from the bloodstream into a molecule lactate, and then that is passed on to neurons. So here they found that after they injected mice with THC, the THC actually blocked the ability of these cells to transform glucose into lactate, which slightly starved the neurons in the brain. And that matters for sociability because the process of turning glucose into energy for the brain prompts the neural activity that we need behind, that underlies behavioral responses. What stands out here really is how this brain energy regulates such complex behavior. Is there more to this? I mean, this study looks at marijuana in particular, but there's got to be so much to lay out here. I mean, this opens the door to a whole new world of possibilities, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, like you said, ultimately, this isn't just a story on marijuana or THC. It's about gaining a better understanding of how brain energy controls and regulates complex behavior. And while studies show that the persistent use of high doses of marijuana can be associated with social withdrawal, what this what these results exactly mean for people needs to be examined further because, you know, they're... Mice are a great model, but there are some differences between the human brain and the brains of other mammals like mice. So that's what they plan on studying next, you know, but yeah, it's it's, it's one step towards a better understanding, but it really seems that, you know, how you act is more complicated than it seems, right? It really stems back to how your behavior is being regulated by the mechanics of your brain. And a lot of that comes down to energy. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's incremental research, but it's pretty cool. The brain is such a complex organ. I mean, I don't need to tell you. The full story is at inverse.com. For more on this particular study, you can read the specifics there. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest details on marijuana's impact on the brain. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.